Welcome Unrelating listeners. So today we have Dr. Hans Stahlschmidt. He is a licensed psychologist and a teacher of couples therapy through the PACT Institute. That's a psychobiological approach to couples therapy. And today we go into what the brain does in relationship, how it is a threat detector, how it is a pattern recognizer, and why that matters, why that matters to you and how you navigate relationships and how you can use that information, that awareness of what your brain's doing to develop new ways of being in a relationship that are more functional, more satisfying, more playful, more effective. I hope you enjoy Hans as much as I do. I think he's just a, a wonderfully humble and wise uh, teacher of relationship. And so without further ado, Dr. Hans Stahlschmidt. All right, well, welcome, Dr. Hans Stahlschmidt. Thanks for being here with us today. Glad to be here, Ryan. Yay. Yeah, I've been excited about this conversation. And uh, so, but before we go into the brain and all that uh, wonderful stuff, uh, fascinating stuff, uh, I'd love for you to just introduce yourself to the, uh, to the listeners. Yeah, I'm, as you can probably hear from my accent, I uh, grew up, was born and grew up in Germany, got my education there. And I came here, believe it or not, already 38 years ago. Mm. And I'm uh, now in this country for a long time now, a licensed psychologist working in Berkeley, California, have my own private practice. Uh, mostly couples, but I love also work with individuals. And I'm doing, as some of you know, I'm also a trainer and core faculty member at the PACT Institute, the approach we also will be talking today. And I'm doing a lot of individual and group consulting. And I still love my work. Yeah. Well, t- tell, tell us a little bit about why why couples therapy? What what drew you to that? What, what, why you why are you so focused on that? Um, I find couples work for me just the exactly right fit of comfort and challenge. Mm-hmm. I did individual work, obviously a lot. I did some group work, group therapy, and uh, couples therapy is just has enough complexity and also simplicity that I feel I'm going to be challenged. And I'm also being able to kind of master it. And, uh, and relationships, especially long-term relationships, are just fascinating because I would see them as one of the most important and difficult challenges that we can have in this life, besides maybe having three or four teenagers. Uh, but overall, it's um, just such an adventure how to make it work and as you know, we are also now in the last 20, 25 years, we're also in the forefront to understand what are relationships, what are pair bonding, what is pair bonding, what are good relationships. There's polyamory, there's all kinds of uh, different templates that we're exploring. And uh, I think we're at the cutting edge. Uh, how can we have 
our own personal individual life and growth and how can we be in a relationship that is uh, beneficial and safe. Yeah. So, so before we get into the brain, there's one more question that I, I think it would be kind of cool just to hear your answer. Like, cause I, I do, I do value as a teacher that can really, can really zero in on, on the simple uh, uh, truth of the matter in any particular situation. So I'm just curious what you would say in this moment around what, what is, what is at the core of, of what makes a, a relationship healthy, functional and thriving? right now how would you simply answer that yeah what is the simple answer what is the core um i think that it's um a mixture of uh, the necessary safety and the necessary uncertainty and adventure and that we need both and uh that this package then allows us as individuals to grow and I think a valid, vital couples relationship is only valid and vital if both partners have a sense that they can be growing and expanding in this relationship. So I think the growth model is extremely helpful. And I think most of us uh, didn't have this growing up. Our parents, grandparents didn't really have a growth model. And I think that puts it together that you feel you can be in a relationship, you can be caring for the other. And at the same time, this is not, this not um, demanding from you uh, the sacrifice of the self. So there are a lot of misunderstandings about compromise, what is a, a marriage or a relationship about. It's certainly, it's not about the sacrifice of the self. It's the opposite. It's the emerging, emerging and growing of the real self. Yeah. I, yeah. I, as I've come to understand it, I think it's just, it's just the challenge for the human mind to actually hold that kind of paradox. Seeming, seeming paradox, right? We, 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 yeah. I mean, it's interesting, um, Ryan, uh, Ryan, not so many people talk about this, right? But uh, the brain is a mixture of wanting stability and uh, also wanting expansion, fluidity, plasticity. The What the stable um, part is, is mostly related to people. As we know from attachment theory and anybody who has had children knows that children don't want uh, rotating parents they don't want to have rotating caregivers they are bonding and attaching with one or two maybe you know in certain ways uh, with maybe a core family structure but normally there is one specifically uh, and in this way that is what the, the brain wants it wants the sameness stability with people mm -hmm. and it likes the fluidity the change and the plasticity with uh, maybe everything else and so this is uh, kind of what we know. And that's what also, of course, our work is built on, that we're building on this, that there is benefit, there is growth, there is safety when we are together with the same person. Yeah. Yeah. So, so on to the brain. I mean, you're already, you're already getting in there. Um, 
but I would, I would, yeah, just want to ask you in the, in the moment, like what, you know, as you've been doing your best to articulate, you know, the neurobiology to the people you work with, like, what are you, what are some of the core principles and uh, points about the brain that, that you, you find actually really helpful for, for people navigating relationship to actually know, like rather than getting the, cause we could go, there's so many different places we could go in the brain, but I find that there's, I mean, how many, there's only so much that a person's really going to use, you know, in day-to-day yeah. life. Yeah. So what would those things be? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to fail to be a couples therapist if you become an, an expert in neuroscience and giving lectures in your consulting room. So we have to obviously, uh, I definitely don't have this capacity. And then we also have to tailor what is really therapeutically helpful, of what would be educational pieces that can help the couple. And as we know that in... Uh, couples work that is more experientially based that believes in the bottom-up process that we're needing emotional and somatic experiences in order to process things correctly and also introducing change in this way we will then use educational pieces as uh, with a brain in this matter one of the advantages is when we're bringing this in it's a uh, obviously true it's science-based and it's non-pathologizing it's also a great unifier we all have a very similar brain uh, we know that there are obviously differences and they come mostly from the newer more uh newer cortices from the prefrontal cortex that's the major delay while we are born so prematurely so that that can develop later in life you know from one day to whatever 20 to 25 years uh, but otherwise uh, we are very very similar and uh, so it's also a great unifier uh, you uh, your couple here the two partners here they have the same brain as i do you have the same brain as i have and so it's depathologizing we're all struggling uh, we can say, for example, things that the brain is there, you know, to scan for danger. We can say that the brain is biased towards negativity. And uh, so these are simple statements that are ap actually applicable to the couple, that many couples, when they are stressed, when there's conflict, when there's misunderstanding, they're going more in the states of scanning for threat scanning for negativity and then of course uh, when the brain is not functioning in its complex ways and is more on this primitive scanning for danger more as we know the survival brain the brain will then find these patterns that are then confirming that the other is whatever son of a bitch or is uh, not understanding me or is my enemy so this is helpful that we bring in simple things about the brain in the couple relationship. Another one that is obviously very important would be saying um, the brain is to a great extent a pattern recognition machine. It looks for patterns. And uh, that starts uh, not actually only um, 
with the first day, it starts already in the womb that there are certain specifications, certain glucocorticoids interacting with hormones and with brain cell development. Just think about uh, when, uh, you know, I think around 48 weeks or so, when there's more brain development, the, the neural tube develops, there are approximately something like 15 to 20 million neurons growing per hour. Right, it's this astonishing, astounding process that then accumulate. You know that we're having you know eighty to hundred billion of neurons in our brain. So this unfolding is uh, exciting and it's uh, obviously necessary. But from early on, the brain is trying to detect patterns in the world to make sense of it. And as we know, this, uh, these pruning periods, right, from maybe 12 to 18 months, 22 months, then uh, certain circuits, certain synapses are pruned, certain um, neural networks are pruned because they're not necessary. So from early on, the infant and the toddler and then the child will find out the, which patterns of the brain, which neural networks are important in his or her world, in their world. And so from that on, we are trying to detect patterns. We are trying to make sense of the myriads of informational pieces and data coming in. And so in this way, when you think about, so the brain is a pattern detection machines, and then it, of course, uses this pattern that the brain is a prediction machine. It tries to predict what will, which pattern is going to be the most helpful for the events that are facing us. So, and then it collects a myriad of data. And uh, the exciting thing is we're coming more to know all the issues about interoception. So about all the data that comes from the inside. They come from all the organs, of course, skeletal muscle, but also interesting from the skin, that the skin is also an organ that has interoception. It's not just on the outside. Or we also learning that the bones are actually real organs. They're not just kind of stiff, calcified uh, uh, units in there, but they're really organs. So there's a myriad of data coming in from the inside and then the myriad of data from the outside, extraoception. And then the brain tries to make sense of this, creates a pattern, and then tries to predict, put it together and saying, okay, let's go there. Let's get some more adrenaline going or rest more or look out or relax in order to face the challenges. So these two things go together. And of course, uh, Ryan, as you know, this is happening with our couples. They're sitting there and then we're watching something and we don't see something, but the couple is suddenly feeling they are attacked, right? So their brain suddenly from the tone of voice of their partner, whatever it is, they suddenly now get uh, the pattern signaled from their brain, threat, red alert. He, she, there are going after you. And then, of course, a whole firework of physiological, hormonal, and skeletal um, you know, activities are going off to protect this organism, to get it ready to face this challenge. 
And we're sitting there and we thought, oh, the way they are approaching him were actually pretty good. But for him, it's mayhem, it's attack. So you can see how these uh, pattern uh, that are uh, coming up in our work all the time. And of course, the human predicament is that we cannot live without pattern. If we wouldn't have any patterns to detect, we would be in chaos. We would be living every day in chaos and could never make sense of the world. And of course, that's more, um, Ryan, when we would be talking about more disorganized people with uh, developmental trauma, that they cannot make sense in the same way because of the threat of the traumatic events of the fail of the failing uh, environmental safety. So they had to put some patterns together that are not so much corresponding with reality. So they're in this constant survival mode and then they're uh, bringing patterns up. They're always overly protective. They're not, uh, you know, they're much more in line with what they've experienced, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. And so you can see then then these patterns become really not serving very well to create relationships or be in the world. And so they're continuing this mismanagement, this error-prone uh, visualization, this error-prone auditory processing. And before we know it, you know, these people are then in a dysfunctional, dysregulated. And then when you go from chronic dysregulation, then you go soon to disorganization, right? So th these patterns are so important. And that's, you could say, maybe in couples therapy, that's what we're trying to shift, that people can shift out of that pattern and maybe apply different pattern that are more helpful and more in, you know, correspondence with reality. Right. So that's, that's where I yeah, want to go into more deeply. Like, what does that really look like both say in, in couples therapy, but also just on a daily basis? Like, what does it look like to, to intentionally shift that pattern over time? Give it kind of an example of that. And just so we could flesh. Yeah. It yeah. I mean, um, obviously um, in almost every therapy individual or couples therapy, uh, people are getting, you know, as we know, when uh, the uh, honeymoon and all this is over, right, then, then we're getting more into our patterns of family, family of origin, and suddenly, you know, your tone of voice that I loved so much, now suddenly I find this tone irritating, I actually think you're irritated with me. And then I'm uh, following this, you're irritated with me, and then maybe a pattern comes, oh my God, that is a pattern. My father had a voice like this. And when he was irritated, that was danger. Because soon after, you know, he was irritated and maybe some other, another drink, then he became angry. So now that you are suddenly, this pattern is activated, my partner's voice is sometimes irritated, is weird. So now I'm alert and now of course, all kinds of physiological responses are in me, right? So my body brings all somatic markers up and information and saying, you know, you better look out. Uh, remember in the past when that irritating voice came up, it didn't go well an hour or two later. Uh, so, and then suddenly this pattern is more activated and now it's more uh, in my anticipatory system. 
Uh, and uh, so then it could be, you know, much gets much, much bigger. My, my partner's angry with me, uh, but actually she is sad, right? So now I'm misreading, misreading faces. Uh, now we're getting into trouble because now I misreading her internal world. And now she gets more upset because now she feels more and more misunderstood, right? And now we're getting more and more in this whole pattern. So what we're trying in therapy to pay attention to these non-verbal cues and then seeing when we see this pattern going that we are then, so to say, confronting the partner or the partners with what is really going on. And a lot of that, what we're doing, that we're putting a couple face-to-face the partners face to face. And so now they can actually uh, check and do, so to say, error correction. Oh my God, yeah, now that I'm looking at her, she, when the therapist asked me, is she angry right now? Right now, you mean? Yeah, right now. Um, no, right now she's not angry, but normally she's always angry. Right, and then we say, okay, right now, no, she's not angry. Right, so now we can go there. She's not, she's not angry, and then we can maybe explore. How do you know? Yeah, because her eyes are different, or uh, you know, uh, whatever. So we then follow this a little bit on a physiological level, that we're now in the moment, and now the brain and the whole body system can now do what we call error correction which is one of the most important issues I think that we have in our sapiens life, that we develop the capacity for error correction. Right. And now, yeah. now we can regulate a couple, right? So now that I see in this moment, oh, she's sad and not angry with me, right? Now we can shift and now she feels better understood. Yeah, I'm not angry at you, I'm just sad. Did you constantly think I'm angry? Whatever I say, I don't know how to approach you anymore. You know, I can, and so and uh, so we're interrupting there, we are finding a way in, and now we're setting a process with them to explore this more. So now that you she, see she's not angry, can she talk to you about what is really uh, painful for her with you? Mm-hmm. And, now, and now we have a different regulation going on, what we call co-regulation, and then... Uh, that it can shift and then the body shifts, the hormonal system shifts, right? The glucocorticoids are down. So now we get a little shift and now they have an experience maybe of some understanding. Right. And just to, to I think there's a, there's a point in there that I think is just um, really worth highlighting. It's that, it's that initial, that initial movement from the, the automatic reactive brain, the, the, the one that's so familiar. The other is dangerous, uh, always always irritated with me or whatever these old familiar stories are. The shift from that into the actual present moment and nothing accomplishes that more effectively than being face to face and slowing down. And then even with even more... Uh, effective is having a third party there that is also um, bringing a kind of curious um, present moment or directed um, you know energy to the to the to the moment 
no, no, right. Like you just did like, no, right now, not how she always is these global statements, but really look at her face. Is she, is she angry or is she sad? Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess she's right now, right now. No. Yeah. Right now. Right. And then that's shifting that, you know, in that they, they don't have to be thinking about the, the brain and any of it. I mean, it's just happening. Right. But it is, it's a significant shift from that, from that one, the automatic brain to the actual present moment. It's huge. It's a big shift, right? These are small shifts, maybe when uh, whatever lens you have, but for them that suddenly their partner could see them correctly as sad is a huge shift. And of course, that shift then also then can then activate a shift in them that they are then shifting and not holding this picture, this pattern this internal network being activated that he never understands me. And uh, so that's why uh, we also so sensitive, right? And most therapies are sensitive to always and never because they are come normally from the past. These are when our file cabinets are op open about all the hurts and all the things that our partners have done to us. And you can play with this. I, I like to play also. I can say, wow, I look out the window. So I think, I think there's a pickup truck. He has all your files about all your complaints, right? Uh, so we, we, we can play with this, right? That we're all the same. We're not different. We're all the same in this way. And so this being face-to-face -face helps us to be in the moment. And being in a moment, you know, it has a long history, right? From Gestalt and, and, and so forth. There's a long history that being face-to-face -face in a moment is really our only way out in life because nobody has the time. If I'm going to, I was hurt for 39 years, right? I don't have another 39 years to go through everything because in the next 39 years, more stuff accumulate. It's you not know, going to be happening. So these 39 years, I have to do them in three months and nine days. Mm -hmm. So there is this power in the present and uh, that then we can, you know, pick up unprocessed, emotionally loaded events, can reprocess it with another in partner therapy, obviously with our important partner, individual therapy with a therapist, and we can process it and then process it correctly, we can express. And then by this being received and understood, then, then it, it looks that the brain and the organism can then put it away. It can be then um, put away in so-called kind of regular memory and not in the um, trauma memory that is also associated with the amygdala, right? It's the amygdala memory. So it can be more hippocampus memory. And so there's this paradox, right? As we know, we remember in order to forget. So we are processing this so it can be put away. So it doesn't have that incredible power over us that these events that are not processed, right? They're traumatic events. They have a tremendous power over us. They always reach from the past into the present and into the future. Right. So, so in that way, right, being in the, being in primary uh, relationship in this way, long, longer term, like past the honeymoon stage, just say, 
offers this opportunity for that for that trauma that trauma healing or that attachment wounding um, because it's so it becomes so activated and and so so present uh, in literally in the brain it's it's yeah. right there so it can it it it, it in being in the relationship in this way that you just described face to face offers this opportunity to have a corrective experience where, where the other isn't, isn't so threatening where you can say, turn towards them and uh, work it out. You don't have to run away or you don't have to yell at them and uh, make, make a big a, a big drama out of it. There, there are other options and therefore the, yeah. I think these terms, right. They're very important repair, you know, or uh, error correction. Uh, so as from the, how the brain is built, you know, over uh, quite some millions of years, and especially then the sapiens brain uh, around whatever last 70, 80,000 years, it is, um, full of errors right it it cannot conceive the world directly so uh, through the sensory apparatus and through the thalamus and the different cortices that are working together that we're constructing a reality we're constructing these patterns these neural networks that are then approximating what we think is reality so in this is that we are error-bound beings and a human history is full of uh, horrible hours. And a lot of philosophers and meditators and Buddha, they've talked about uh, how error prone our brain is. And so that's why uh, I think it is so important uh, about error correction, the function of error correction. And of course, that has a lot to do that of uh, what we have as capacity, you know, from our upbringing, do we have the resources to make mistakes? Many kids, it was very dangerous to make mistakes. So learning kind of was impaired. And so now when we make mistakes that we can actually say, oops, I'm so sorry, Ryan. I didn't get this right about you. I didn't notice about you. I'm so sorry. So this capacity that we can uh, see, recognize, and then take care of an error is paramount. And, uh, you know, as we know, the brain uh, is always a, a whole network. It always works as a whole, right? The idea that the only smaller parts of the brain, you know, activate and the rest not is kind of a simplification. Normally, it's always the whole. And that has, of course, specialty areas that overlap and work together. So with the error correction, uh, mostly involved are, you know, the prefrontal cortex, you know, more our executive functioning the VMPFC, the ventral medial, which is, has, is one of the regulators for emotional processing. Uh, so it's a bit, uh, it's kind of the part that says, you know, I, I, I want to kill you, fucker. And then the ventral medial says, wait a second, maybe take a breath. It's not such a good idea. Or, yeah, so the VMP is involved, the, the dorsal lateral is involved, the more analytical, and then especially also the anterior cingulate that has a lot of functions about uh, selfhood, about uh, also um, impulse control. Uh, so, so these work together to see, my God, I got this wrong. 
Uh, and uh, that is essential, right? And we know also science to a great degree is error correction, right? Constantly throwing out hypotheses that are then proven wrong. And then until uh, we get to more likely and more, uh, you know, uh, something that might be more in accordance with reality, right? Has more balance. Uh, so in this way, this is one of the um, very important functions that we're also trying to develop in couples. Right. I mean, as you say all that, I can just kind of see, I mean, that's, that's a, that's right. Our lifelong practice is just human beings, but, and, and, it, and uh, it's so essential and couple them because what I hear you saying is that it's just, it's always happening. It's just, there's a humility that's necessary and, you know, that's yeah. now, now very much verified in neuroscience that we are, yeah. we are constantly, our brains just generating hypotheses and stories about what's happening out there. And it is, and unfortunately they're, very, they're often very convincing to us, right? Yeah. It fits, right? It just, well that, you know, and it takes extra energy to actually slow down and question them and you know enter into that kind of hypothesis checking mode right we 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 by default are right as stan says all the time we're kind of lazy creatures that are just going to run on you know on automatic programs and stories because that's cheaper energy wise so a lot of our work right as couples therapists is to is to train is to support couples to actually slow down enough and humble themselves enough to check their stories and their hypotheses about the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you put obviously um, kind of moral and emotional terms to it, right? Humility and so forth. Uh, these would be, so to say, um, markers that we could see that somebody takes that process of, of being uh, full of errors and being error bound, and then uh, taking this process of correction repair seriously, there is obviously humility. So when we're too righteous and too arrogant or whatever, even all the way to a narcissistic structure, there is no error correction, right? There is the identification, I know reality. And we know that uh, these identifications with us are, you know, oh, in human history, very dangerous. You know, that somebody knows, I know reality. I know what life is about. Uh, these are uh, have created tremendous havoc in life. So I, I agree, even our profession, I think we have to be in this way uh, humble, you know, that we know what we're doing. I feel I know what I'm doing. I have a lot of uh, experience and expertise. And at the same time, I let parallel running in myself. Is this really true? Do I make here a foregone conclusion? Do I have the evidence for it? Oh my God, now they are reacting differently. So what I thought about, they're not who they are. So there is this uh, ability, whatever you want to call it, to be open, to be curious, or I call it pivoting, that we're like pivoting. Okay, so now it's a new reality, new data coming up. Okay, you're another one, right? And we're adjusting in this way. Uh, to whatever comes up for us. And so this, this ability, I think, is, is extremely important. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, great. 
Um, so I'm just going to shift gears a little bit um, because it's it's a ter- it's a it's a ter- territory that I've been really contemplating recently, um, and it's a, it's built on the notion that's part of PACT that that uh, that the couple is a two person psychological system, and that uh, both in that you you as a uh, as a couple bring. Um, or each each member of the couple is bringing in whatever resources they have to 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 make to 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 make the to help the couple thrive to help the relationship thrive and move forward. And sometimes uh, it works out that one of the one of the members of the couple has has greater maybe for a time period even uh, has has greater resources in the, in the in the realm of of regulation. Right. Right, that they can like maybe a, a great example maybe uh, a, when a mother is sleep deprived from having a newborn and is give, giving so many so so much of, of her resources to regulating and, and learning how to be a mother with this small child, and in that scenario, uh, ideally the the other parent is is bringing in their their regulatory you know energy their uh, bandwidth in a way to 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 that situation um and i'm just wanted to kind of check in with you about what how you coach that because it well it the reason reason i, I bring that up is, is something that you just said which was that that we we have this this couple that are you know that are humbly trying to uh learn, you know, learn what's going on in each other's minds and hearts, you know, and sometimes that's, that's not always even. And um, yeah, I just want you to share your thoughts on that, like how that, how, how you can either verify that or maybe offer some, 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 mm-hmm. some clarification. I mean- so, um, Ryan, if I understand correctly, so you're also asking a little bit about that in couples, there could be, in general, there could be asymmetry and then also temporary through certain stressors. There could be more asymmetry, like, for example, uh, giving birth or somebody insomnia or somebody dealing with surgery or whatever. With right. Dying yeah. yeah. I'm seeing that a lot somehow these days, like that, that asymmetry, yeah. right? And I just kind of want to normalize it for people. Yeah, and how that yeah, relates yeah. maybe to the nervous system and the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, also, um, there is obviously an, a, a symmetry when you think about the original attachment, right? Uh, the uh, caregiver, the mother, let's say, and the baby, they have very different attachment, right? There's the attachment part of the caregiver, which is very different than from the attachment part of the baby. It's basically we grew up, we grow up uh, asymmetrical asymmetrical right very deeply and so later in life or in relationships we need different symmetries asymmetries to make it work if uh, you would be in a relationship where you're always more the daddy right you're always the caregiver uh, that would be coming probably problematic over time Uh, it could work some people have this relationship and for whatever reasons it it seems to be working right there's daddy and little girl Uh, but it probably will hinder more development, right? The little girl probably wants to grow up to be a woman. And maybe the big honcho guy, the caregiver, wants to maybe relax and be vulnerable, right? So um, 
we we have it we have asymmetries and uh, they're all over i don't think that we uh, need a symmetry uh, to have a successful relationship i think also but in a general sense as you know there has to be a certain balance of fairness whatever for both couples that they're feeling okay i'm do, i'm really good at this i'm i'm doing all the finances right uh, my partner's not good but then uh, they are doing you know they're doing something else they're they're very good maybe with the kids so they're very good about taking care of my parents better than i am um, so we looking for some balance mm-hmm. and temporary asymmetry um is uh, obviously okay, like we said, you know, in a good couple relationship, only one person, uh, you know, is uh, getting disorganized or dysfunctional, uh, and the other person can then regulate. But when we have the real stresses, the most important and most difficult couples we have, when they both go off, mm-hmm. you mean, you think, so yeah, you're having a baby, but I wake up every time, five times a night. Right. I don't have tits, but I wake up every time. What do you think? And I go to work while you going being home. I have to go to work in the office. Right. And so they both go off. They both are looking for resources in themselves. They don't have anymore. Then they're looking for their partner. Their partner doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. go ugly. Right. Mm-hmm. Because right. Give me around. And what do you do mm-hmm. in these situations? So one is, of course, to acknowledge it that this is extremely stressful. You're in a pandemic, you're locked down, you work from home, you have three kids, they don't have school, right? So we have to acknowledge it and then see if we can, through these regulatory moves with each other, that they can get access to each other and of course to themselves. So we can maybe set them up together and then maybe through this regulation back and forth, we get a little bit something going that in this moment, maybe she can go to him and he says something empathic and saying, sweetie, you're doing amazing work with our baby, right? Or something. And that might be enough that she thinks has a little smile and says, maybe he's not such an ass. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, right? And then so we get something slowly going that's obviously real. We, we, we're not uh, entertaining any lies or fake processes, right? But something that's real. And then something comes a little bit more in line. Maybe then stress hormones go down. Uh, there's a bit of an ease. And then they have a little bit of resource to each other, so to say. Then the gas station is open, you know, that they can do a little refueling. And then we open up maybe that channel that they can uh, be there for each other, maybe in minimal ways, just lying maybe exhausted on the couch and hugging each other instead of being on in different chairs and staring at the iPhones. Right? Right. And so this is obviously not easy. Everybody who has kids would know that. So, uh, but there are ways that we can, so to say, help them to get more out of the victim's corner so that there is a little bit of an empowerment, uh, a little bit of a self-activation that uh, they, they get something going again. And, uh, you know, because that, that will help people through uh, difficult, difficult times. 
it's not going to be probably enough for you know 20 years, but it's definitely enough till uh, whatever till childcare comes in or the grandmother visits. Right. So these are yeah. The, this is oh, great. I mean, I just just to help maybe help because you're you're great with metaphors, and I've got one coming to me, and I thought we could maybe play with it and build with it a little bit because you said the victim's corner, right? And I just kind of imagine at times, right, in relationship. I mean, it's not great that that we're going that I'm whatever it is, I'm going into this boxing metaphor, right? So you're in the victim's corner and there's like this sort of sense of like, ah, I can't go back in there. It's just a mess. Every time I go into the ring, you know, uh, I just get uh, pummeled and it feels like shit. So I'm just going to go in my corner with my iPhone and just block it out. Right. For, for instance. Right. Right. And what I'm kind of, kind of seeing, right. Is that, that often, right. In particularly in moments where, or maybe phases in a relationship where both parties are, are really stressed that there is this very real, I mean, I've, I've experienced it many times, a very real request to really dig deep, you know, to embrace whatever it is, your inner Rocky, like to just be like, I've got to, got to get back in the ring here. And, and, see if I can't dig deep and, and offer something like, even though maybe I don't really feel like it fully, but digging deep to find something that, like you said, is authentic. It's not just some bullshit, superficial um, move. Right. But something to say, God, I just so appreciate how, how, how much, how much you're giving to our, to our daughter, you know? Yeah. Just it's, one move like that can can change if it's really yeah. coming from a true place, right? yeah. And not waiting in the victim's corner to, for the other to right to feed the system to bring it back to some level of of mutual yeah care and support. Yeah, I mean it's um, uh, you know this being in a corner, right? You it's basically that the brain, you know, that uh, maybe there are all these, uh, you know, networks now going, they're all about, uh, I'm powerless, I cannot do, why the fuck is she not doing something, right? So this all going here, and it puts me in a state, I, I don't want to move anymore, you know, I feel why always me, right? I have all kinds of philosophies and stuff going on inside of me that justifies that I'm pissed and should stay there forever, right? So all of this accumulates, and it all comes together that I don't have any flexibility, right? My brain is frozen. My brain is just repeating over and over again. And now somebody, you know, there's a little butterfly landing on my shoulder, right? And uh, she says something, um, you know, thank, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for, you know, giving me that extra time when you took the baby at night, right? And suddenly that all that construction in me and all these justification and my brain going all in one direction, suddenly that gives a little shift, right? Mm -hmm. And now I might even turn around and look from my corner and now I see her and I think, wow, I haven't really seen her eyes. I, 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 I loved her eyes all the time, right? And now that shifts me a little bit, right? And so we're building on these shifts. Because what we're understanding, you know, we're, we're in a regulatory system. We know that uh, our bodies, our organisms can be understood as regulatory systems the best. And uh, so now that little movement suddenly can create bigger shifts. And suddenly maybe these two people look at each other, hold hands and get a little bit of resources going. Yeah. 
So it's this victimization that everyone knows very well, right? That that we just feel like we're checkmate. It's over. And if that's repeated over and over again, it can lead to depression and resignation, right? That there that we just don't have any options anymore. Now, of course, what um like you said, you know, we also want to dig in and do deep work. On the other side, we might also want to go to the other side and say, that's what they did. They're digging down and they're going nowhere. So why don't we give that a pause? Uh, why don't we play, right? And maybe it could be a simple, ask whatever, ask, uh, you know, ask uh, Leslie, you know, Leslie, just in your fantasy, what would you love him to do, right, or something? Oh, I want him to get up the chair and dance around the room and saying, uh, I'm so happy that I married you, right? Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we get something going through fantasy, whatever imagination, something, right, a dream. And then we can ask, you know, we ask Charlie and say, Charlie, what's your dream? Uh, I, I want that she comes over and gives me a long, long kiss, right? Whatever it is. Or, uh, you know, you hope it's not going to be negative that he says, I wish she would jump out the window, right? So we, <laughs> that could be a possibility, right? Um, so, and then we get something going, right? So we're, what, what I'm talking about, um, and you know this, uh, that I love to talk about and also implement it, it's about play. Right? This is homo ludens. This is humans, the human sapiens as play, playful. And play is uh, such an important issue, right? Winnicott had brought it up, uh, quite some psychologists have talked about this, that play is essential to learning, to understanding the world, right? We're spending decades, you know, as human beings at playing, exploring the world with playing and playing and playing and playing. And so if we get this going with a couple, I think we're on in a pretty good going in a pretty good direction because play allows coming out of a corner more resources it's not as dire right i can explore um and so that is sometimes that we want to go away from the brain that has grounded to a halt is sticking all work is steaming you know smoking you want to say all of this don't work on a relationship right just go on a walk and, uh, you know, you point out to each other flowers you like or your favorite tree, right? And so then we get a different capacity back. Right. I, I, I love that. I mean, that's in a way, you know, in other terms, that's a, that's a bottom-up approach too, right? Wherein yeah. you're, you're going for a walk, you're, you're, you're shelving that tendency. I think that's particularly acute in... I don't know, in certain cultures, I mean, modern culture, I mean, to be, to hyper intellectualize a relationship and think you need to figure it out and come to the conclusion mentally, right? And you're right, it just ends up creating this brain that's just steaming, as exhausted, as wants to just give up. And it's, it's really often not part of a couple's repertoire to to just shout, to just say enough's enough with that. I know, you know, yeah, yeah we got feelings that don't feel good. You know, right. uh, w- what about just 
going for that walk? What, what about like, you know, bringing the, uh, bringing the Frisbee out for 10 minutes. I mean, we may think of that as something like, oh, we're just, then we're avoiding the real work, but bullshit actually, because you're recalibrating your whole nervous system when you're throwing that Frisbee. Right. And then, and then your brain's in a, your, your whole being's in a different state. And then you may look at this, this predicament that was previously intractable and actually have a whole bunch of different ideas about it. And maybe it doesn't even fucking matter at that point. Yeah. I mean, that's how. Absolutely. Right. And I mean, look at the 32 versus 40 hour work week, right? It looks like that the 32 hour work week is more productive, right? So in this way, um, I remember a couple, you know, um, you can see, um, let's see, there's one person, it's a hetero couple, and uh, they're both working, they have children, and he works very, very hard, uh, long hours and so forth. And um, then they see me, you know, later uh, after an evening, and then uh, he's already, you know, He's maybe in a relatively good mood, but then when there's some work and she has some issues and he he sinks, right? He gets tired and all this. <laughs> and so I said, when this happened, I said, one day, you know, let's do this differently. Let's do absolutely no work. Next hour and a half or two hours, we do no work. Uh, we just play, we have a good time, we hang out together. Mm-hmm. And let's hang out together and see what happens, you know? And uh, then I, I took it seriously. Whenever they wanted to go to work, I said, no, 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 let's play. Let's, let's hang out. And so that shifted the mood and then opened up that the association, okay, so now we have a session with Hans. Oh, shit. Uh, you know, I worked for 11 hours and now, okay, now I have to work again. And I have to talk all about, okay, what I didn't do. And I have to talk about my feelings oh shit i'd rather work right so take this away and play with it that um that this kind of uh what we call work right doesn't have to be that deadly grinding you know uh work it can be at times it can be in a different modality and then we got to very interesting issues Right, because you're you're actually in that case you're actually trusting the brain, the nervous system's uh, kind of organicity to just move towards what is wanting to be addressed, and you know, what, especially once it's given a break. Yeah, once it's re- allowed to relax in the company of others. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it's this mixture, right? And I think the the way for us as therapists that I think we that we have as much flexibility and resources and lenses and tools, right, as possible, so we can work with a specific couple uh, and adjust to what they need in order to you know move forwards and go to growth i cannot really imagine growth uh, being possible without humor and and play mm-hmm. i mean you know it's the same with the relationship i mean that's all the bad jokes about relationship right fun ends, sex ends you know you got your handcuffs on basically life ends right and so all of these metaphors about long-term relationship right they're all in this direction mm-hmm. and, uh, it doesn't have to be it's definitely work 
I think there's no way around uh, because facing pain is work. Uh, but also the capacity to, uh, you know, to be able to play and to experience the world and the partner in different ways. So I think they all come together. Yeah. And each couple, each person, different flavors, of course, all these different backgrounds, ethnicity, culture, you know, they play a huge role. And, uh, and then also we know some people play and use humor as big deflectors <laughs> couples they laugh and choke with each other right and you know they have that down but it's now used not to do the work right there they can make jokes all the time but they're not really working right so it can go you have to find out who they are and how to help them mm -hmm. yeah well this has all been very 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 great good i i, I would think you know to many out there a good uh, a really evocative introduction to just kind of looking at the couple through the lens of of the of neurobiology you know of and it's obviously just at a, a you know i think that's that's why we both enjoy it so much is that it's such a endlessly evolved like uh uh evolving and uh mm -hmm. it's such a, a a deep artful uh area so, yeah. yeah i mean to say uh you know one more thing that uh you know you and i have also talked about also in the teachings right in the classes that uh one of the uh often basic misunderstandings about the brain is uh, that the brain developed for thinking and uh, the brain didn't develop for thinking at all it developed in order to uh, protect and guarantee the survival of the organism. So the brain is really, so to say, an outcropping of soma, of the body of the organism. So when you think about what is really the basic function of the brain, what the basic function of the brain is really, when you look at very simple organism, they have a very, very simple memory system, right? So they have in their little, whatever few neurons that they have, you, you touch them and they contract, right? So there's a memory, right, built in. So when this touch comes or waves coming, I collapse or I contract to protect, right? That's very simple. And of course, the memory system is there to prevent shock or death. Mm. So I remember there's a fish coming or whatever and eating me here as a plant or something, right? So I have a memory now that protects. So this is the basic, I think the basic origins of memory is to guarantee the survival, right? To prevent shock. I can learn, I have a memory now it's in the DNA, it's in, in, in the basic structure, right? It's in there. I don't have to learn it, it's in there. That's the origin I think of the brain. So it has memory to order to guarantee more or, or maybe make optimized survival. And then of course, all the other stuff is amazing, you know, hardware and software all around to make this such a fancy tool. But this is the basic function of the brain to serve the organism. And I think the best picture is, you know, seeing in your, in your room, uh, seeing two elephants, right? With a little rider on top and a little head 
and then knowing these are the major forces, right? The emotions, the soma, the physiology, this is the elephant. And then the, the head really in the rider are the brain and the prefrontal cortex. And so we have to really deal with the elephant. If we just address the rider up on top and uh, giving intellectual things and analytical interpretations, it's not going to affect the elephant or very little. Right. So we have to address right. the somatic, the emotional, and then and then we can get the whole together, right? Because it's of course it's a whole. They're working together, brain and, and body and emotions, everything works together as a whole. But to yeah. understand this, right, that, that this is really much more who we are, right? We're, we're not yeah. with a big brain. And yeah, and I think that's so important for, for people to really get. I mean, if they, I think this is a great piece to really to conclude on because I just see so much um so much self-judgment around this the 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 notion that because I know it intellectually I should be able to change it and not and not recognizing right yeah. that we we are more fundamentally these memory systems that that they sure that are from this lifetime but just from all of our yeah. biology that orients around threat and that that is the 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 strongest operating organizing system yeah here. not our intellect that can say just use these words and say love them or they don't mean you any harm as if that would change the yeah. somatic yes. experience you know and so just for people to really slow you know slow that down that tendency to think that because they they can think it through or they know it intellectually that they could change themselves or change their relationship and it, it requires a, a real different orientation that includes yeah. play, play and like kind of really questioning the 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 story that you maybe naming the story your nervous system or your brain is kind of involuntarily involuntarily forming and um, checking to see if it's true in the moment. Yeah. That's really right. different than this kind yeah. of hyper intellectual fixing of you and them and the relationship, which doesn't, is just frustrating for people. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, you look, uh, just a, a simple look at human history will uh, cure you of this idea that we're intellectual and are you know, determined by our prefrontal cortex, you know, it's a mess, you look at human history. And, um, and of course, it goes both ways, right? We have this amazing, amazing apparatus, this amazing network, that can create thoughts and ideas and everything. And even what we're talking about couples therapy and stuff. So of course, that goes also influences, you know, uh, our body. So it's both this bottom-up processes and, and top-down. But I think the basic, when you look at evolution, it's bottom-up, right? right. Uh, it wasn't like, there wasn't like a, an organism born with little legs and a huge brain. And then we reversed evolution and, uh, you know, went in the water. Now, it's clearly, <laughs> we evolved bottom-up and the brain, our especially our sapiens brain, is the, you know, the newest, you know, model coming in. So, so we we should always remember this and then work according to this, right? It's it's bottom up and top down, right? And we work both ways. 
But the main, I think the main trajectory, the main influencing is bottom up. Right. Yeah. And, and just to offer the folks out there, just a, uh, you know, a, a real simple takeaway around this so that it doesn't seem too abstract, like with bottom up, that's like what we're referring to there is, is, is simply like doing something like close proximity, eye to eye, face to face interaction. I mean, if there's one thing, right, that if, if someone's never really heard about, you know, pact and the psychobiological, you know, realities of relationship and all that, if they were to take away one thing. I mean, I would invite them to take away that, 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 that bringing more and more of that into your relationship um, is a way to do this bottom up, this repatterning that, that we've been talking about in our conversation okay. today. Right. I mean, is it, is there anything else you'd add to that or? Yeah, I, I would agree uh, that this, you know, everything is really um, is, is in our bodies, right? Even we have this ability, you know, we're crazy beings. We can postpone gratifications for a long time. We can postpone gratifications, some people into another life, right? We're sacrificing a lot. And then we hope, you know, when we're dead, it all's going to happen. We're strange. Um, but, this is this is the it's everything you know i think especially in a in a pair bonding relationship um the it's everything is in the body it's it's incorporated in in corpus right in the body and uh whatever processes they are they have to um pay tribute to this that uh it's in the body right so it's ultimately also looking in the eyes touch simple things okay while you looking at them can you uh, just pay attention a little bit to your feet can you feel them on the ground right and then maybe this person going kind of up and out and trying to figure out the partner and in this process losing their bodily and emotional connection so that might be just a little marker to give them back right in the body because that's what we ultimately have right uh, we are uh, when we're really home, uh, we're in our body. Now, we cannot be home and not be in our bodies. So this is ultimately where we are. Uh, it's an amazing tool. It's horrible, especially with aging, right? And uh, But um, it's still an amazing thing that we have to come to terms with having this body. And uh, that is important for our work, that it has to be grounded in this process. <laughs> all right work, work of a lifetime well it's, i so appreciate your uh your, your time today hans and it's a lifetime yeah, yeah. <laughs> many lifetimes uh, but then yeah. you have to believe in incarnation <laughs> yeah so we're doing the best we can ryan as long as we're here yes we are yes yeah so no, no end to the work no end to the play also, just to give you and your listeners a little bit about you. So um, Ryan is a wonderful therapist, and I'm glad to know him. And uh, oh. thank you for inviting yeah. me to the podcast. Oh, it's it's a joy. Yeah, your perspective is uh, is rich and uh, and always lovely to to partake in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, Hans. Okay. Take right. care. You too. 
Well, thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed Dr. Hans. And so I just wanted to use this time to do a, a real simple recap of some of the real key points that we addressed in this podcast, some of the takeaways, some of the action steps that you can that you can bring into your life, into your relationship. The major one is to really bring some intentional humility to your relationships, right? To really question the stories that you have going on, the beliefs that you have operating, and see them as just your brain constructing as it just does naturally hypotheses about who the other is, what their intentions and motivations are, and hold them with humility, hold them with some curiosity. Check them out with your partner. If you just did that, if you just had that be an operating, committed practice, it would do wonders in your in your relationship. So much of the trouble we get into is believing our stories, believing our hypotheses, our brain's hypotheses of, of who the other is and what they're doing. The other action step that I would invite you to take is to bring more play into your relationship. To, to stop the argument, to uh, put it on pause, to stop even the discussion when you're really getting exhausted, when you both are getting exhausted, when your brain is getting overcooked. And, and take a walk, like Han says, go and, go and point out beautiful things in nature, even if you are still a little bit annoyed with each other. Change your state, you have that ability. It might not feel, might feel somewhat counterintuitive, but it can do wonders for interrupting a pattern that is not serving you both. So if you just did those two things, bringing more humility and bringing more play into your relationship, I think it could make a, make a turn for the better. All right, so please stay tuned. Please keep listening and contact me if you have any requests for anybody you want to hear on the podcast. Would love that. Until next time.